Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Once again, Mike Walden is our guest. Uh, uh, Dr. Mal, uh, Walden is the William Neal Reynolds Distinguished Professor of Agriculture and Resource Economics at NC State. Do you put that on all your letters? I, I actually bet. have it on my, all my cards, yes. Oh, okay. Fills up the entire card. I, I bet it does. <laughs> uh, but he is uh, probably uh, North Carolina's go-to source when it comes to matters of economics and understanding the state's economic situation and and uh, that means that uh, when the legislature's in session and Mike speaks, they listen because he knows and has made a great, a great study of what's going on in North Carolina and has a lot of history. How long have you been at NC State now? I'm in my 42nd year. And they said you couldn't keep a job. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, that, 42 years. 42 years, yes. And Never what, planned it that so, long. So you came when you were eight years old. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> well, you know, uh, we were talking earlier about how people extend their careers these yes. days. Oh, yes, you, yes. I mean, I guess 20 years ago, you'd probably be retired uh-huh. or in maybe fact, or maybe fact, retired I, permanently. <laughs> I, I think there was a rule about academics retiring by 65 at some point, hey, yeah. I think, or decades ago. Well, you know, that's a shame because I think, uh, you know, uh, especially people in academics never seem to lose their thirst for learning. And, of course, they, they've got that tremendous background and knowledge and insight into what's happened, and all that can get lost mm-hmm. in a hurry. Mm-hmm. There's no yes. way to write it all down or remember it. I all. have a colleague who just finished 50 years, David Hyman at NC State, and in, what, in what economics. He, in economics, economics yes, yeah. yes, 50 years. Well, economics particularly is an interesting field because there is so much history and so much to learn from history, and yet it evolves and changes so rapidly that it's uh, – uh, I've, I've said this a dozen times. If I had to go back to college and knowing now what I know, I would have I would have majored in economics. Well, you know what they say in economics: um, you give a test, you have the same questions year after year because the answers always change. Yeah, yeah. And yet, uh, the other thing I love about economics is it's a balloon. Yeah. I mean, you push in here, it pushes out somewhere yes. else. Yes. No other uh, pursuit, I think, is quite like that. Yes. Uh, uh, unintended, unintended consequences. And there's one to every? There is. Yes. I mean, yes. it's uh, many. sort of like an equal and opposite reaction. But uh, So anyway, uh, so Mike, as you look at the North Carolina economy today, uh, and, uh, you know, people keep sort of hinting at uh, the possibility of a change in the economy, a slowdown. Uh, uh, I haven't seen anybody really think that it might be anywhere close to the last recession we had. But but it seems like now what I'm hearing is it's still about the same distance away as it was maybe a year ago. Yeah, I put out, Don, a um, monthly leading indicator report for the state. I've been doing this for about 10 years, and we have not seen a lot of change in the last year in terms of what that – report is telling us. So I do think the state's going to continue to grow. The pace is a little slower than it was last year, but we're adding jobs. Uh, we're, we're adding businesses. Um, we, we just got a report, for example, yesterday about RDU Airport being upgraded in terms of a national survey. Uh, we, we last year saw some very good news, for example, about our urban-rural divide. I mean, the, the notion there has been that for many, many years you got the growth in the big cities, the big metro areas, but not a lot in the rural areas. Where last, where last year, job growth in the rural counties was just as strong as in the state. So that's good news. And that I think, is good news. And yeah. I think that's the result of the fact we have now been growing. In our, we're now in our 11th year of growth. So 
I don't. All right, I want to get back to that. So, where is that growth coming from in those uh, roughly seventy-five or so counties? Well, I th- in terms of location, we we see, for example, Rocky Mountain, yeah. not too far from here. You're yes. very familiar with Rocky Mountain. They've had some big announcements, some big developments. Uh, Down East, Goldsboro has had some announcements. If you go out west, uh, Hickory, Hickory is a is a is a tech center. It's a very small tech center, but it's a tech center. They've been doing some interesting things. Asheville area is is really booming. So um, that's the, the lay of the land geographically. And I think what's happening, Don, is we continue to grow, and especially in our metro areas, you know this as a businessman, um, land costs and construction costs are very, very high as the growth has continued. And labor is, is more expensive. That a lot of companies who are looking to expand or move here are saying, well, maybe could we move to, could we set up shop in Rocky Mount? We're not too far from Raleigh. We're not too far from RU. And good road. But a good road. Uh, maybe we could set up the shop in Rocky Mount, lower land costs, lower labor costs, et cetera. So I think that's really the underlying reason that we've had growth for so long that we that businesses are now taking a second look in order to save some money at some of these really. So it would be sort of like the Beltline and the Outer Beltline. The counties that are touching the growth areas, I guess, are the ones that are probably doing what you're saying, and they're, they're probably the ones that are having most of the growth. They are, but I think what my example of Rocky Mount Hickory Goldsboro is that there there are some situations where that growth has leapt over those ring counties and is going to smaller yeah. metro areas. Well, that's interesting, and uh, uh, and of course because uh, for years, I mean, we've had this sort of twenty five seventy five situation yeah. where we have twenty five counties that are doing pretty good, and the other seventy five. Right. I guess we still have some problems in some of those distant counties, like that. Tarrail County and some of those who are very small and and uh, more remote. We do. Um, we we see counties, for example, in the Northeast. You mentioned Tarrail County. Uh, some in the foothills. Some in the South Central Scotland County. Yeah, they still have issues. They're they're far away. Uh, they don't have the amenities. So we still have an issue. But the number we have a state demographer, for example, who predicts county population growth, and his latest report indicated that. Um, Whereas a couple of years ago, he was predicting a third of our counties, 33, would depopulate over the next three or four decades. That's now down to 17. So uh, we have made progress, but we do have some core counties where, yes, they are still facing the same kind of structural problems. And probably we'll always have those because of location primarily. Well, this is where uh, technology may change things, and I don't, I don't know how long you want to spend on this. but As long as you want. <laughs> as long as Jason gives us. But uh, I could conceive a situation, this is decades away, where things like um, remote uh, working, virtualization, uh, drone delivery of products, uh, inter- uh, high-speed internet anywhere in the state, where people may decide to, they don't want to put up with the hustle, bustle, and cost of the big city. They can live and work in a, in a small town, in a rural area, and that could change the economic landscape dramatically. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, I don't think anybody's always looked at the unintended consequences uh, that might come about by self-driving cars, because if, if cars truly get to be self-driving, then people working an hour away could work on the way in. That's right. Or, or rest or yeah, sleep. Yeah, or, yeah. That's another element, transportation. Yeah, yeah. You may know I'm on the new State Transportation Commission. We're meeting over the next two years to look at primarily financing of how we finance state transportation with the gas tax uh, fading 
as well as looking at uh, different modes of transportation. That's one of the issues we've discussed, that it may be that autonomous vehicles is going to change how people look at commuting. They say, I don't care if I have to commute an hour or an hour and a half. I can sleep. I can, I can work. I can eat, whatever. And uh, so that's not downtime. They still scare me to death, but that's aside from the <laughs> Well, <one. laughs> you know, uh, we had a speaker, uh, speaking of that, who came and, and talked to us and said that the technology for autonomous vehicles is there. It's, yeah. it's already there. What is lacking thus far is, is acceptance by drivers, by people. People are just yeah. not willing to accept the notion that you can have a, what, 5,000-pound vehicle driving itself. So we may get there, but right now he said that's the hump yeah. that we have to get over. Have, have you done great studies, or other economists done great studies about all the unintended consequences? For example, what happens to body shops if we have self-driving cars because we should have fewer crashes, fewer mm-hmm. wrecks? Uh, and all the other industries, uh, for example, will insurance rates go down? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, what Have you looked at the un- – or are they – maybe intended consequences. Well, um, on that point, everything you mentioned is true. Uh, one, there are some forecasters who say that if we move to to uh, autonomous vehicles and ride sharing where people don't have to own their own vehicle no. or two or three per household, that's going to cause a tremendous downsizing in the auto industry yes. and auto production. No. So that's a real good example of, um, of unintended consequences. Now, on the other hand, famous economist phrase, about 16% of every dollar a household earns goes to transportation. A big part of that is financing vehicles. If they don't have to finance a vehicle, that's money they can spend another way. So, yeah, it's always good to think about how a particular technology could shift the economy, yeah. where jobs are and where spending is. Yeah. Well, you know, you, you mentioned uh, – who, who, which was the president said he wanted a one-armed economy? Harry Truman. Yeah. And, and, and it's actually a true story. He was briefed by his economist every day, and at one point he uh, – after the economist left, he turned to his chief of staff and said, you know, find me a one-handed economist because I'm tired of my, my people telling me on the one hand this could happen, but on the other hand that could happen. Yeah, yeah. Well, but it's true. It is true. Yeah. And, and that's what makes the study of economics so interesting because you're not quite sure how everything is going to come true. out. This is true. I mean, to think about it, we have a $22 trillion economy. And to think about any person or no. group of smart people can predict what's going to happen in that no. economy is really a tall order. Is it possible that self-driving cars might uh, first find their home in less developed countries uh, where there's uh, less uh, emphasis on having two or three cars in your driveway uh, and there's less congestion and it sort of proves itself it works in those in those areas? A good question, good point. My, My guess would be is that it'll be either here or Japan or maybe even China. I mean, China, as people know, is is is, is moving ahead economically uh, quite fast. They just opened a, tr- a tremendously huge and modern airport in Beijing, for example. Uh, I, w- I would think it'll be uh, some developed country like us, Japan, China, uh, less likely in Europe. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Well, so what's kind of the forecast of when that might take place? Well, again, according to the expert that we on the Transportation Commission uh, listen to, the technology is all there. It's yes. ready to go. It's it's a matter of some, I think, auto companies starting to roll these out. I think GM just announced they were doing tests. They selected Austin, Texas to do their test. So I think we're getting close to where we might see that, that um, um, 
technology pushed ahead. But I do think the worrisome part right now for the companies is, all right, we build these things. Are people going to buy them? Yeah. Our guest is Dr. Mike Walden, and we'll be back with more here on Carolina Deesmakers. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more in detail about the possibility of a slowdown in the economy and how North Carolina is particularly uh, uh, situated for this particular slowdown. Economies do go up and down, and we'll do that when we return with more with Dr. Mike Walden here on Carolina Newsmakers. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Do you dance badly or hug in public? That's okay. You don't have to be perfect to be the perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care would love to put up with you. Call 1-888-200-4005 or visit AdoptUsKids.org for more information. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt Us Kids, and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Dr. Mike Walden is with us. He has uh, been with us a number of times. And... Uh, has uh, sort of been North Carolina's unofficial economic uh, source of information for many, many years. The legislature listens when he talks, and so do I. And we have uh, had a long relationship. I don't know how many times you've been on this program, but all of the programs that he has done are archived. And if you'd like to go back and hear them, you can. And uh, I think more often than not, uh, 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 his information has been accurate. And uh, so we, uh, well, it's always accurate, but I mean, it's always turned out to be reliable, I and guess. And by the way, I think the first person on WPTF I was interviewed by was Barbara Heisler. Is that right? Well, yes. So. Barbara goes back to 1982 or 83. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't know where Barbara is. I, I, I don't know whether she's living or not, but uh, she was one of the first talk show hosts, yes. and she did uh, Nightline, yes. or Night, I forgot mm-hmm. the name of the program, but so. Well, okay, let's, let's uh, zero in a little bit on the uh, possibility of a slowdown in the economy. And North Carolina usually in the past has usually, uh, when there is a slowdown in the economy, we've usually fared a little bit worse than the yes. rest of the country. Yes. Is that still the case? Is our economy like that now, or will we be more average? Well, let me, let me explain why in the past we have, and you're absolutely right, Don. It's because traditionally we've had a much larger part of our economy devoted to manufacturing. Now, in the past it was a different kind of manufacturing, tobacco, textiles, furniture. Today it's technology, auto parts, et cetera. But uh, the, the issue with manufacturing in a slowdown or recession is that manufactured products generally are products that people and businesses don't have to buy. Yeah. They can postpone buying them. So if there's a slowdown, you, a household loses your job, a company 
company finds their revenues go down, if the company wanted to upgrade their tech system or a household wanted to buy a new car, they're going to say, well, no, I'm going to wait till the recession's over, the slowdown's over. So the fact that North Carolina had at one point a third of its economy in manufacturing generally met, and that was about twice as high as the nation, generally met recessions would hit us harder. Now, over the last 25 years, manufacturing has shrunk in North Carolina as a part of our economy. It doesn't necessarily mean that we're manufacturing fewer things. We're we're manufacturing different things, but it's not as big a driver as our economy it used to be. So that fact alone would tend to make the the uh, slowdown in North Carolina, which tends to be heavier than the nation, not so much. Although I do think still we are we are manufacturing heavy compared to the nation, so a recession will hit us harder. Um, the other uh, point about um, how severe the next recession will be is usually recessions are heavier and harder and deeper when you go into them with heavy loads of debt, household debt, business debt, mm-hmm. et cetera. And we're not seeing that now. Uh, if you look at debt loads as a percent of income or debt payments as a percent of income for households or businesses, very, very low. So that's very helpful. And then lastly, in terms of the state government, one of the problems with recessions for governments is that their revenues go down, tax revenues go down during recessions, but the needs that they're facing go up. Unemployment goes up, so more people need help, et cetera. And state governments have to choose, well, do we cut services or and or do we raise taxes? And neither of those are very palatable. North Carolina has built up a very large what's called rainy day fund over the last several years. And so if we go into a recession at some point, and I hope we're going to talk about the probabilities of that, but when we go into recession in some future point, what happens is the General Assembly, the governor can tap into those monies to help continue state services without raising taxes. And the term recession means so many things to different people because the recessions have been, uh, there's been degrees of difference in how deep they are. It's really just a a slowdown in the economy, and sometimes it can be a severe slowdown, sometimes it can be less than slow. Well, uh, more specifically, a recession means you're receding, that instead of positive economic growth, you actually have no growth, you're going in reverse. And so right now, for example, you look at the national level, we just had a report today that showed that the latest reading on growth in, a, in the national economy, 2%. Last year it was 3%. That doesn't, we're not in a recession. It just means the pace of growth is slower. That 2% would have to go negative for us to technically have a recession. And, if, of course, every economist and different groups of economists have their own predictions. But I, I look at a group called the um, – Uh, National Association of Business Economists. This is a national group. These are economists who work for businesses, so they've got their ear to the ground. They're, I think, predicting now um, only a 9% chance of recession this year. Of course, the year's almost over. Next year, maybe a 33% chance, and then in 2021, maybe between 35 and 40. So still, even looking out two years, the majority is still predicting no recession. Now, prediction is a prediction, but I don't, my, my personal view is I don't see any recession looming. I see slower growth, but I don't see anything that's out there telling me definitely the economy is going to go in reverse. Now, we have, we're reading an awful lot about our uh, trade battles with mm-hmm. China and, and resetting tariffs and so forth. Uh, how will that affect a possible slowdown? If they continue or get worse, I think it increases the chance of a recession. If they are improved and we get agreements, and for example, we just had an agreement with Japan. I also read yesterday China has agreed to uh, increase their imports from us of pork and soybeans. That's big. 
The president uh, has said he thinks we're moving closer to a deal with China. If we get a deal with China in particular, that could probably add a half percentage point to our economic growth rate and I think pretty much throw out the possibility of a recession next year in 2020. So, yeah, I think that is a very key part. And the nice thing, if I can say nice, about the trade disputes, that's something that's in our control. We can we can negotiate that. We can have a deal. The thought is the Trump administration went into this thinking they wanted a massive deal. They wanted to change some of the behavior of China. They think they're probably going to back off on that because China has has pushed hard and said, hey, you don't tell us how to run our country, our economy. So we're probably going to settle for something less than we wanted initially. But a deal, I think, would definitely be a, an improvement for the economy. So the new agreement with Japan, did we come out ahead compared to where we were? I think the biggest point there was, yes, I, I think so, is that Japan opened up their mar market more to us. That's been one of our problems with uh, China, Japan, even the EU, that we say, hey, we open up our market to your companies who want to sell here, they compete with ours, you don't do the same. And Japan has been very uh, tight, stingy in opening up their markets, particularly, ironically, to our farm products. And they need to import farm products. Yep. They don't have a lot of good farmland no, there. Um, so, yeah, I think this was a positive deal. We also made a deal uh, a few months ago with, with South Korea. But the big one out there is definitely China. So uh, your prediction, now next year's an election year, is yeah. this, all this going to be settled before the election? Yeah, uh, my prediction right now is I'd say within the next five to six months we'll, we'll get some kind of a deal uh, with China won't be what the Trump administration yeah. initially wanted, but it'll be a deal. It'll be positive for the economy. I would not be surprised if Boris Johnson continues as prime minister of, of the U.K. that we get some kind of deal with, uh, with the U.K., especially if they do remove themselves from the, from the EU. Uh, we have some issues with the EU, which I think probably are tougher to negotiate. But, yeah, Walden is saying deal with China coming up, uh, probably a deal maybe with the U.K., now, you know, I have always sort of taken the feeling that the uh, the Brits uh, removing themselves from the U.K. is really not going to affect us. Does that affect us? Uh, uh, it affects us. I mean, us. or is that just internal between those two? Well, it's mainly yeah. internal yeah. between those two, but it could affect us if it causes growth rates, economic growth yeah. rates in the European community, yeah. European Union, and the U.K. to go down. Not enough to cause us to go into recession. But we benefit from other when other countries grow, uh, yeah. primarily in terms of selling stuff yeah. to them. If, yeah. if you're a growing country, you want to buy more from, from everywhere. So this is something to watch, but it's not, in my view, catastrophic for our economy if, if, uh, if they don't have a formal Brexit agreement and the U.K. just moves out, which raises all kind of issues about how the U.K. interacts with, uh, with the EU. Now, the so-called third world countries, and there are plenty of them with mm -hmm. a lot of people. Yes. That's a big market. Is It is. is our Who is our competitor for that? Is that basically China? China. Well, one of the biggest markets out there of a country that's really emerging, and, and, and people should keep this in mind, is India. India will overtake China in terms of population. It will become the most populous country in, I think, a couple couple decades. India will pass China? India will pass China. China is actually on the verge of depopulating. 
Um, India has had some struggles over the last decades in terms of government control of the economy. They've kind of moved away from there. So there's a lot of optimism. India is going to be the next big international power, both geopolitically as well as, as economically. And then another country to keep in mind is Nigeria and Africa. They are, they are growing tremendously in terms of population. Uh, Africa as a continent has made some headway economically. Uh, technology has been very helpful there. Uh, and if you've got the right political setting, which has always been some of the problems in, in, in Africa with dictators, et cetera, uh, Nigeria could be a very major power and a major uh, trading partner with us. And our relations with those two countries, India and Oh, Nigeria. good. Well, yep. the prime minister of India uh, yes. was here yep. with, uh, with the president uh, at a rally in um, a big event in, in Texas. Uh, so yeah, I think we are we uh, diplomatically are trying to um, trying to forge relationships with India. And basically, India and China fear each other. India and China have oh. been competitors. I think it hasn't gotten to the point recently of fighting. But yeah, I think when you mention well, who's our competitor with some of these yeah. countries? Yeah, I do think it's it's China. And China is developing this new trading route, both land and sea, between China and, and Europe going through the Middle East. No. So China's looking very far ahead and trying to increase its relationships with other countries, and sometimes that causes them to butt up against us. Well, it's all interesting because we tend to think of our economy as being so internal, but yet it's a world and global economy. It is, very much so, yeah. and I think will continue to be, yes. Mike, let's turn to another topic that's pretty much in the news and has been for some time, and that's the high cost of education mm -hmm. and the huge amount of student loan debt. Of course, this is going to be a political football in the next election. Right. Uh, uh, what do you see there? Is that changing uh, somewhat? Well, I, th I think uh, sometimes we hear the extreme stories of, of individuals who graduate and they have $300,000, $400,000 worth of debt. Actually, these numbers just came out. Um, the average student who graduates has maybe $30,000 worth of debt. And if that's what it takes to get a four-year degree, that is well worth it because the average college graduate will more than make that up over their lifetime of work. Yeah, now, and that's the price of a car. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you can afford a car, you can afford That's right. The, the problem is uh, if you're a student and you, you go to college and you don't finish for a variety of reasons, you're just not focused, you, you do the fun things and don't do the hard work, and you take now, on – Now, tell me, no, there's <laughs> not any students that would do that, right? And you take on debt and you don't come away with a degree yeah. – then, th then you're not going to get that bump in your yeah. salary likely, and you're still faced with that kind of debt. And then there are students who do finish, but it takes them a long time to figure out their major. And, and I understand, I changed majors yeah. twice, but I got done in four years undergraduate school. So I, my advice there would be uh, really think hard about what, what you want to do and, and, and what you're focused on is if you do change majors, uh, go to summer school, uh, take extra courses, uh, don't spend as much time having fun so you get done in four Four years and don't raise that level of student debt. And of course, uh, the other big exception is graduate schools and graduate study because uh, masters and PhDs take a lot more time and usually are more expensive. They are, but oftentimes there, it was true in my case, and, and we, we have a lot of students obviously in our graduate program that that you can get assistance through being a teaching Teacher, assistant, yeah. a research assistant, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So my message there is if you get a, accepted to a graduate program, uh, go and talk to professors, go around and find out what the professors are doing, what their research is doing, make yourself known that, hey, I'm available to work work on your project and, and try to get at least a major part of your education paid for. 
And let's put in a plug for the whole university system because the cost of getting a, a uh, education from a uh, public university yes. in North Carolina, 16, 17 campuses, depending on how you count them, uh, is really low compared to most states. It is. When, now, the, these data may be a little out of date, but the last book I did on the North Carolina economy, I think I, and I have a chapter on education there, uh, indicated that we were the fifth lowest cost educational, higher educational system among all the states, UNC system. Fifth and another great jewel cost. for North Carolina is the community college system. Oh, can't say enough about our community college system. Um, uh, that I think, and I think our community college system is going to be more prominent in coming decades as we go through what many think is going to be a big change in our workforce with technology coming in, doing things that people used to do. So what we're going to have are a number of people who are in mid-career who wake up one day and find they got to get a new kind of training. That's where our great community college system comes in. They've got their ear to the ground. They know what businesses want. They're constantly changing, adapting their programs. Yeah, it's we, we are very, very fortunate to have our community college system. And I think it's the case that there's a community college campus within 20 minutes, pretty much, of a, of a high percentage yeah, of, of I, households I, I in think the that's, state. Uh, yeah. I think that's what I've heard, and yeah. it's like 98% of the population mm -hmm. or something like maybe even 99%. Peter Hans yeah. is now the, yeah. the president of the system. We have great presidents, and um, uh, it's, it's, it's truly, I agree, a jewel of our of our state. Mike, you've left me just enough time to thank you very much for a wonderful program. Thank and you. We look forward to having you back on. Dr. Mike Walden, uh, who is uh, our friend when it comes to the economy, is a professor at uh, NC State University. The program has been produced by Jason Cog, and he'll have another interesting guest for us again next week on the same group of stations all across North Carolina. We look forward to being with you again next week. So the next week, same time and same station. Have a nice week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.